My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Robert Massoud. In 2004, Massoud founded an organization called Zatun, which is the Arabic word for olive. Since that time, Zatun has imported fair trade olive oil from Palestine and sold it through grassroots networks and select independent businesses in North America. Massoud, who is Palestinian-Canadian, has been active in a number of ways in supporting a just peace in Palestine, and this sale of olive oil is a way of supporting Palestinian farmers and building material connections between sympathetic people on Turtle Island and the lives and realities of people in Palestine. This episode of the show is not about Zatun, however, but about a space and an organization that emerged from it in 2009. Beit Zatun, it's called, which means House of Olive. It's a name familiar to anyone involved in grassroots work in Toronto, where the organization managed to secure central, beautiful, and highly affordable space, and established itself as a cultural center, a gallery, and a meeting and event space for people from a broad range of communities, organizations, and movements. Beit Zatun quickly became a piece of essential infrastructure for all sorts of grassroots work in the city. With no government or foundation funding, they have survived based on olive oil sales, space rentals, admission fees, and of course the hard work of volunteers, and have hosted more than 650 events in the last five years, including cultural events, arts events, films, meetings, dance performances, book launches, teach-ins, debates, discussions, and many other sorts of grassroots educational endeavors. Though Palestine is never far from the goings-on at the center, its work is informed by a vision of offering broad solidarity to diverse efforts to create a better world. Though the space is now threatened by gentrification, and will have to move within the next two years, it remains an inspiring example of how determined effort can re-establish what Toronto-based organizer and scholar Alan Sears calls the infrastructure of dissent. I spoke with Masood by Skype to phone from Toronto. My name is Robert Massoud, and I'm the founder, executive director, and one of the volunteers at Beit Zetun in downtown Toronto. Beit Zetun is the Arabic for House of Olive, and it is a hybrid of many things. It is a meeting space, an art gallery, and a culture center for the grassroots. It provides a platform for groups to come together to share information, create awareness, and build solidarity across issues, across communities, across geography. And that's important for me personally as an individual, and and that's what I wanted to help create because our roots are in Palestine, the whole question of a just peace in Israel-Palestine, and the realization that there could be no resolution no peace in that part of the world without building greater awareness and solidarity across the board. And that applies, I think, to pretty much every issue and and every community. On its own, it cannot succeed. It needs to create awareness 
more globally and with partners and build solidarity. My background is Palestinian. I'm Palestinian-Canadian. I've become very involved in the whole question of Israel-Palestine in the last 10 years through the founding of an organization called Zatun, which is the, uh, again, Arabic word for olive. And Zatun brings fair trade, extra virgin, delicious olive oil from Palestine to North America, both Canada and the United States, and it's sold through a network of activists and grassroots and uh, fair trade retailers and a lot of independent grocery stores. And the idea behind the olive oil was to use what is, you know, everybody recognizes as a universal symbol of peace as a way to connect with people at a level different than just words and images, which is what we're typically used to, particularly as activists, we rely on words and images. And I wanted to connect with people at the level of, of experience, of heart and soul. And the idea is that through the olive oil, people have that connection with Palestine so that the next time they hear something on the radio or read something, they're reading it differently. They have new ears because they've got a connection. So that's really the mission of Zatun. And Zatun was 10 years ago. And then in year six, really wanted to ground Zatun physically in a space because prior to that, it was just virtual in that it sold through the internet. It had no office. It had no warehouse, anything like that. And so the idea of Beit Zatun came about as a place for people to not just buy Zatun, but where Zatun can actually invite people and open doors and become multidimensional in the sense that now, because of a space, we could have art and culture and invite communities to bring their issues. It's no longer the single dimension of the olive oil. Coming to decision of that the time had come to found a physical space, like anything else, it's not just a single moment, it's a movement, it's over a period of time and discussion. Around 2008, 2009, Zatun had built up a certain base and a certain confidence, like you could say, and it was, you know, next level kind of timing. And it felt that creating Beit Zatun as a physical space was the next logical step. Not just logical step, but, but really also the needed step. What ensued is, of course, an extensive discussion with the board because Zatun and Beit Zatun are both registered nonprofits. They are volunteer run, and we have board administration that needs to look at the big decisions. And it was an extended conversation over a year to take this step. And it wasn't an easy step. I mean, there was, of course, finding the space and so on. But also, more importantly, um, not everybody was in favor of it necessarily because there was a fear that it would tax our very limited resources in terms of, you know, volunteers and people time and so on. But in the end, I guess we all saw that it was the right thing to do. And we were extremely fortunate to find an incredible location as we have. I mean, we are on the subway line. It's the most beautiful space. People who walk into it are immediately drawn to it. So the combination of location and beauty of the space have really worked in our favor, and we never looked back. A very important part of Beit Zetun is that we receive no funding whatsoever from any agency or level of government. We're not interested in funding. It is completely community-supported. We support ourselves through our programming, so charging admission for our programs. We rent the space to other organizations and through the sale of the olive oil, and finally, donations. Through those four income streams, we've been able to, you know, pretty much pay the rent. 
And Bates at Tune in almost five years now, it will be five years in February, has been really an incredible place and an incredible experience. We've had over 650 events in that five-year period. And these events have really just been virtually everything in terms of art form, issues, communities. In a way, Bates at Tune has become a community asset. The community feels very strongly about it, particularly at this time, because we are threatened, one can say, by gentrification in Toronto. We are located in Mervish Village, which is on Markham Street. If you're from Toronto, you know of Honest Ed's. There are landlords, and they've sold their properties to a developer. And so we're looking at having basically to vacate in two years. And that's caused a lot of concern, and people are saying, well, where are we going to go from here? Give me some concrete examples of events and activities that have been hosted in this space. You know, when you, when you have had 650 events, it's just so hard to recall them all or even the highlights. I'm going to try to do that. I mean, there have been so many different types of events. For one, readings. We've had readings of plays, particularly very hard-hitting plays about Palestine. Our first event was about the bombing in 2008-2009 of Gaza. It was called Seven Days in Gaza. It was very powerful, especially for our first event with three readers professionally put together. Again, all volunteer. It was very moving and a great inaugural event. Other events have been concerts, music concerts from different cultures. In terms of films, a lot of films, uh, even premieres, a lot of Toronto premiere films, and I guess also a number of strong debates. We've had some very powerful debates, so one can say, or conversations that we've hosted. I guess one of the more memorable ones was with Dr. Isaldin Aboulish, the Gaza doctor whose children were killed in the bombing of Gaza in 2008. He was being interviewed by Rick Saluton or having a conversation with Rick Saluton. Very powerful. We have, for instance, a talk on Kobani. What's happening in Kobani, which is the town in Syria, northern Syria, where ISIS or ISIL is very active and about to overrun. And part of that is, is what is happening in the world? We're trying to create a platform where we can tell people what is happening in the world, which is different than what they're hearing on CBC or reading in the Globe. Not that we want to be a news media outlet or anything like that, but we do want to be an alternative. We want to have a kind of alternative forum where someone who has direct experience, is from that region, can come to Bates Atune and say, this is what I know. This is what I heard from people. And then have a conversation with the people who are there. This last point is actually very important. There's very little that we do as an event which doesn't conclude with a conversation with the audience. Because I think Great Platoon is not about talking heads. It's not about the experts. It's about people being there as fully capable agents to think and have opinions and to know what they know and wanting to share it with others. I think this is one of the things that makes Great Platoon the place that it is, is that it is welcoming, not of just generally people through the door, but also that people can have a conversation with others about subjects which they normally don't. So for instance, when we show a film, people don't just walk into the night following the film. They stay behind, they talk about it. And that adds a dimension to the experience, which is very important. 
Another event that we're hosting is actually, it's a performance. It's a sound performance, and it's called It Is Only Sound That Remains. And it's a sound theater, and it's about Ziba Kazemi, who was the Canadian-Iranian journalist who was killed while in custody in Iran in 2003. So again, very, very different type of event that, you know, is hard to find elsewhere. And another incredible event, I think, will be a book launch called Janie's Arcadia. And it's not just your typical book launch. It's a book launch with sound performance. People can bring many aspects of a book or of an experience. And uh, just to give you again, <laughs> really, I think it's very exciting, is dance theater. There's a group that's touring Canada that is putting on dance theater performances with volunteers on the same day. So what they're doing is they're calling out for volunteers to participate in a dance theater in the morning and that evening or that afternoon they're performing it. We'll be doing this in November and it's called bombing instead of negotiating. And the way the organizers think of it is, is this is a dance revolt against you know what is happening in the world today. In this case, the drones and the bombings that are happening. So these are the kinds of events that we're, we're hosting, that we're very happy to, and that somehow I think perhaps Bates Tune is ideal for. Maybe in some cases, they would not be performed anywhere else in Toronto. So that we can provide that to the community and it becomes a community asset, I think is a great achievement. I've been in groups over the years where conversations have turned to, you know, we really need a space. It would benefit us. It would benefit other groups in the community. But the stumbling block has always been what you alluded to earlier, that running and maintaining a community space is an incredibly energy and time intensive thing to do. So tell me a bit about how your organization has done that. How have you managed just how resource intensive it is to keep a space going? Because of its physicalness, a physical space, you've got to keep the doors open. And that really is a challenge. And I don't mean just financially, just in terms of, you know, the staffing of keeping that door open. And it is a huge challenge. And we, of course, have to do it through volunteers because we can't afford to hire anyone. It has to be volunteers. One of the ways we've done it as well is to reduce our need for staffing in the sense that we're not open seven days a week. We're closed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because we really can't manage the staffing to have regular hours. And we're open on Thursday, Friday from noon to 6, and Saturday, Sunday from noon to 5, plus the scheduled events. But that's one way of saying, okay, we have to be realistic about what we can achieve, and let's take our resources, however limited they might be, and really focus them on what our mission is and how our mission can be delivered. And our events are really delivered mostly on Thursday, Friday, and on the weekends. And the staffing is a pool of volunteers. And of course, as in any volunteer organizations, people come, people go. There are people who come, try it out, and you don't see them again. And then there's those people who are so, they found a home, and they're there three, four years later. And so, although we rely on people, you know, coming in, the greater part of it is carried by the people who've been there three, four years. So those are the ways that we can handle it, but whichever way we cut it, it is not easy. We try to coordinate our volunteers as best as we can using you know, free tools on the internet. 
when people volunteer, I say, you know, what do you want? What are your interests? Because Beta Tune is not about just taking from you. Beta Tune has to also give you what you're looking for. Because really, that's the only way that a longer-term relationship can last is if both parties derive the satisfaction, the reward that they're looking for. So I think that's part of our success. And in the context of this incredible wealth and range and diversity of events that have been hosted there over the years, paint me a picture of the continuity of the organization's commitment to a just peace in Palestine as a core priority for what the group wants to see in the world. The question of Israel-Palestine and just peace, I mean, it's always central. It's something that we try to come back to, even when the event superficially is not about Israel-Palestine. You know, it comes back to it because it's really about universal justice. It's about the human family. It's about our resistance to injustice, our resistance to a lot of the policies that we're seeing. So whether it's about migrant workers or it's about soil erosion and it's about you know, degradation of the environment, they're all tied together. And I think, again, this is what Beit is doing, is it's building solidarity across the board and this recognition that we're all the same, we're all in the same boat, and we're all in danger. And Israel-Palestine is certainly not the only place by far. It is a very important place. It is a universal sort of challenges and issues that we can see reflected in so many different events and areas. And so when I say Israel-Palestine is at our root, it certainly guides us and it gives us the impetus and the vision and the energy. But what also gives us the energy is seeing other people doing their thing and realizing how connected we all are. And as Desmond Tutu said and um, Nelson Mandela, you know, the Palestinians are us. We can't just compartmentalize various injustices in the world and say, well, that's happening over there to those people in that area. No, these are universal themes that call us to work together to find a comprehensive solution, resolution based on justice and international law. Because you, know, you can't have international law if there's exceptions. I mean, if Palestine is the exception where international law cannot be applied, then what hope is there? So that's kind of where we're coming from. As I said earlier, some of our programming specifically on Palestine has not been at the level that it has been. And that's just because we're so busy with the rentals and keeping those going and hosting those events. But it's something that we try to work with all the time, particularly around commemorating special events, whether historical or current. So, for instance, on August the 1st, we had a vigil memorial for the people of Gaza. This was during the bombing of Gaza. And we fundraised $6,000. But what was really important was not so much that we fundraised $6,000, but that people got to sit in the same room and to talk about what this meant to them. What were the events that were happening right then and there? What did they mean to them? What did the bombing of Gaza for weeks upon weeks and children and, and women being dispossessed and bombed and schools being bombed, what did that mean to them? Where did that leave them? And what did they hope to see come out of that? And I think that was probably the most important aspect is that people got to 
hear someone else and got to speak themselves. There was poetry, there was music. There was a performance by two people who were visiting Toronto and they were actually First Nations people from the United States. And they did a dance song performance sort of spontaneously. And you could hear a pin drop. So a lot of what we do is spontaneous. I mean, we kind of create an event perhaps, but don't really know what's going to actually take place. And I think that's part of the excitement and what people come for. We're very clear that, you know, this is grassroots. What we're trying to do is for the grassroots. It's for the activist community. Explore more for me the role that you see arts and culture and the kind of infrastructure for arts and culture that Beit Zetun provides in broader efforts for social justice and so on. Places like Beit Zetun, just, you know, as being physical spaces, I think are extremely important, not just in Toronto or at this time, but at any time, anywhere. Because we can get a lot done through the internet and email and Facebook and so on in terms of meetings and conversation. But those, to me anyway, are really not fully satisfactory and fully productive. I mean, I don't think anything beats being in the same room with somebody else and to look them in the eye and to hear their voice and hear the emotion in their voice and have that back and forth in real time not, you know, by typing or through Skype and so on. That immediacy, that reality is key. I don't think that we can dispense with it even in the time of video conferencing and so on. There's no replacement for it. And it's extremely difficult in an age of gentrification, of high property values and, you know, things being swapped all the time. And now we're seeing ourselves being victim of that process as well. It's really hard to find these places. In fact, we've had a couple of talks at Bates Atune by Professor Alan Sears from Ryerson, who's a sociologist, and he wrote a book called The New Left. And in The New Left, he talks about an infrastructure of dissent. And he talks about how in previous decades and more in the industrial age, how taverns, how churches, how meeting halls were part of that infrastructure of dissent. And now that physical infrastructure has really gone away. I mean, if you look at Toronto and other places, there are no physical places to meet and certainly not to meet to talk about these things. You know, there might be bars, there might be venues and so on, but the talking is secondary to the drinking or the eating. It's not the main event. Whereas at Beta Tune, the art, the culture, the conversation is the main event. And I think that's really important. So Beta Tune is a platform, is a space for people to meet. In fact, you know, there are many communities, including the First Nations communities, organizations who come to Beit Zetun and have particular meetings or events at Beit Zetun specifically, because I guess they feel that they can't go to their own spaces and have that conversation because their spaces have been politicized, you could say, in the sense that you can't talk about these things in this community space because it is funded. So there are things they can say and things they can't say in those spaces. And so they choose to come to Beit Tune where they can be free to speak about what is important to them and is outside of the mandate of their own community centers. In terms of other events, we are always faced with this thing of 
well, this person or that organization brings a perspective or a history that isn't, you know, let's say progressive enough or of the right perspective. And we say, well, we, we need to bring them if only to challenge them, have people challenge them so that they can explain themselves. You always have, you know, different poles. And so we're saying we don't just want to bring the left pole. We'll bring sort of the center pole as well and even sometimes the right pole if only so that they can be challenged and as opposed to be allowed to just continue their perspective without having to answer to it. Where are the conversations within the organization at in terms of the threat to the space? Knowing that we have a bit of a deadline that we face, December 31st, 2016 is the anticipated date of all the closures and I guess the bulldozers moving in. So, of course, the question is, where do we go from here in that period? And what do we start building and looking for? And that's, I think, a very difficult conversation at a number of levels. Number one is, I have to say, we've been spoiled. You know, we've been so spoiled in the space because location by the subway, the beauty of it, and it's also affordable. The Mervish family purchased all the houses on Markham Street to tear them down into a parking lot to support the store but they weren't allowed to do this when this was in the 60s. So they decided to make that part of Markham Street an artist's village. And they subsidized the rent, or let's put it this way, the rent were very cheap. It still is a wonderful space to be because of the subsidized rent. So we can't see how we could do what we're doing under the conditions that we're doing, which is basically no funding, no money, with market rent in a Toronto downtown kind of situation and be sustainable. So between the location, the beauty of the space, and the rent, we have a real challenge. Many in the community want to advocate to City Hall and to the councillors and to the building developer to provide subsidized spaces within the development. I don't know if that's possible in a gentrified kind of situation. You know, if they're taking it into a Yorkville kind of development, because that's what developer economics requires, where does it go? Does it become just another Yorkville? Of course, the developer makes promises about retaining the character of the street and so on. You know, nobody quite believes them, but we'll have to just wait and see. But in terms of our future plans and conversation, that is ongoing and nobody of course knows how it will end but it's something that we continue not just within the volunteer staff at Bates Atun but also with the larger community of people who frequent Bates Atun and yeah so it's ongoing is, is what I'd have to say. You have been listening to my interview with Robert Masood about his work with the Toronto Cultural Centre and Grassroots Space Bates Zatoon. To learn more about what they do, go to baitzatoon.org. That's B-E-I-T-Z-A-T-O-U-N dot org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Prince, Prince, Phil.